Yeah, thank you so much, team, for leading us to reflect on Christ and His, his faithfulness, um, regardless of what the circumstances are around us. At this time, I want to invite the kids to their program. And also, the last two weeks, there's, as I've mentioned, the picnic coming up. Um, both times I meant to ask for some volunteers and forgot both times, so I'm going to ask right now. When I say we are going to, um, to barbecue and we are going to provide the burgers uh, and buns, um, I mean we. So what I'm looking for is for um, a couple of people, some, some uh, maybe two or three who would like to start the barbecue and be in charge of of actually doing uh, the grilling, and then somebody who would like to uh, to pick up some things at, at Costco or something if you're you're down there this week, um, and uh, we'll reimburse you for it. Um, so if you would like to, I see I see that hand. You're going to barbecue. You're going to Costco. Beautiful, wonderful, and so uh, all we need is some barbecuers to light uh, the grill. And do that. If you know right now that you're that person or persons, you could just let me know right now. Or uh, you could, okay, this is great. Okay, and and right there. So the two of you, uh, you, you, we could talk and you could talk. That was easy. Huh, anything else we need to get taken care of? Who wants to uh, paint the fence or whatever? No. Uh, Thank you, uh, Ted, and all of you. I already dismissed the kids. I made some announcements. I think we're about ready to get down to... Scripture. We're continuing our series in, in the book of Mark. Um, we introduced uh, Kevin a few minutes ago and showed pictures of, of the youth room and talked about the collective uh, moving here. Well, in preparation for, for some of these changes and moved, I've been spending some time down in the youth room rearranging things and, and getting rid of some things and, and realizing that uh, there's some of the things there that, that I left there. Uh, uh, 12 years ago uh, when I left, and, and it was seriously uh, kind of a nostalgia experience to go look through that room. Oh, man, I remember those hockey sticks and those, you know, that strobe light. We had a lot of fun with that, or whatever it might be, and as I was involved in that, and, and last week I actually uh, held down the fort and, and led for just one night, and in all that, I realized two things. One is uh, I really love youth ministry, um, and the second is it's really not what I'm supposed to be doing now. And so I, the, both of those were kind of confirmed. In fact, when we were thinking about coming back um, to First Baptist Church in, in this role um, as, uh, as leading pastor, that was one of the questions that I had to wrestle with is, will they still think of me as just uh, in that role that I was in before as the youth pastor? Will I still be the guy who just played a volleyball with a frozen mackerel? Well... <laughs> If anyone's there uh, Tuesday night, you realize those days are gone because now we play uh, volleyball with what? With a raw chicken. Yeah, so I'm not the guy I used to be. We've, we've moved on to other things. But seriously, I ask the question, will the familiarity, the kind of the established relationship we have, actually, actually hinder uh, the ministry? And uh, you guys have been very gracious and, and received me back in a different role and I uh, really have been thankful for that. But it's this phenomenon in life where sometimes a preconceived relationship uh, hinders us from understanding the new depths of a relationship. Uh, this happens routinely as, 
as kids uh, grow up and they graduate from high school, they go off to either you know, university or to, um, to boot camp or some kind of experience, and then they come back home. And the ones who have the hardest time of really understanding what they're about now are the ones who were closest to them before. You know, Aunt May wants to just, you know, pinch your little cheeks. Oh, Billy, you've grown up so much. And Billy's thinking, uh, Aunt May, I'm a brain surgeon now. And, uh, and that hurts. And it's like not realizing this new relationship. Well, throughout life, we have different roles and different ways of relating to people. And uh, we are not less than the sum of those titles. Uh, little Billy is the the kid from Cambria, and he's also the brain surgeon. You know, he's, he's, he's all those things. Um, my titles, well, my family of origin, I am Joshua of San Diego. I was second born of six, the son of Dennis and Beverly. Then I have some, uh, some degrees in pastoral ministry. I have some job titles, and sometimes I save my old name tags and just uh, stick them on the wall in my garage. Here's some of them. Um, I didn't save the really unique ones from further back. But I've been a barista, I've been a paper boy, a laboratory courier, an engineering drafter, and a pastor. Well, then we also have the roles in our families. You know, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father and a son and, and all these things. So to really know somebody, all those elements come into play. But you are, so you are not less than the sum of your titles, but you are far more than the sum of your titles. Reading a bio about somebody, you know, their degrees or their titles is not the same as knowing somebody until you follow them around and you spend time with them and you engage with them. Well, the most important relationship in the entire universe is you and Jesus. Jesus is not less than the sum of his titles, but he's so much more than the sum of of his titles. So as we're going through the book of Mark, we'll see that a major theme of Mark is simply, uh, who is Jesus? And he points out or illustrates that it is not what you think. Often we are surprised by all that Jesus is. The very first um, sentence of the book says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of of God, this loaded statement of some of the titles of Jesus. Right off the bat, here is who we're talking about. You can't take out any of those words and still know really who Jesus is, but he's far more than the sum of these titles. Um, if you're here at the beginning of the series, we looked at this acronym. You're familiar with the Jesus bumper stickers and the fish. Um, it's uh, from the Greek word ichthus. And it's an acronym that means uh, Jesus Christ of God, the Son, Savior. And so you're familiar with the fish, maybe less familiar with this kind of wagon wheel thing. If you take each of those first letters and just plop them down on top of each other, well, you kind of have to squish the sigma a little bit. But anyway, it looks like uh, this wagon wheel. And so uh, some of you have been wondering, why every week does Josh put a wagon wheel in the middle of Jesus on the bulletin notes? This is why. Because we need to remember that uh, this, this fullness of he is uh, Jesus, the human in history that walked the earth in places that some of us have been to. Uh, he's Christ. He's the anointed chosen one, the awaited one who came. He is God, but he's the son of God. 
So he's divine yet distinct from the Father, and he is our Savior. These are some of the key titles of who Jesus is, but he's far more than the sum of his titles. To get to know Jesus, you need to follow him around, be his apprentice, his disciple, follow in his footsteps, do the things he did, observe him, talk to him, listen to him, and that's how you get to truly know Jesus. Well, in Mark, we see something kind of shocking happening that happens still today. Those who should have most embraced Jesus, his family, um, the people who were uh, really religious and had an understanding of scriptures, are the very people that missed of who he really is. And so our big idea this morning we're looking at is that it's interesting that familiarity with Jesus can actually keep us from encountering Jesus. Uh, This seems rather counterintuitive, and yet we see it happening all the time. So this morning we'll look at at three ways, different ways that familiarity keeps us from encountering Jesus. And then in the end, we'll look at the result of being familiar with Jesus but not encountering him. What, what's at stake here? What, what happens? And so we'll be in Mark 6, verses 1 to 6. And if you're following along in one of those pew Bibles, it's on page 841, I believe. Here's the setting. This is after um, all this ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus returns to his hometown in Nazareth, which is probably about um, a 30-mile walk. Well, I say walk because that's just how they got places then. Verse 1. He went away from there, uh, the region around the sea. We might call it the lake. And he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Well, his disciples were always following him, and we see that in the whole rest of the book. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus around. It's not a certain creed that you have. It's not a certain uh, body of information, but it is uh, being an apprentice to Jesus. That's just an aside. They were following him as he went back home to Nazareth. Verse 2, and on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. It's really interesting, all that has happened in the last few chapters, that he's still welcome in the synagogue <laughs> to teach because um, there's been qu- quite a controversy going on. But he was, he was welcome there. But, but this might be the last time in Mark that we hear of him just going and teaching in the synagogues. They heard him speak, his, his kinsfolk, you know, the people he grew up with. They heard him, but they refused to hear him, <laughs> to really listen to his voice, to accept the words that he was saying. And here we see that familiarity with Jesus can keep us from hearing his voice. All this, uh, this routine that we do and the things we know and, uh, and the theology we have sometimes closes our minds to actually hearing Jesus. Verse 2, the end of it says, Many who heard him were astonished. They just, I can't believe this. This is... This is incredible. Uh, why were they astonished? They were saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Wisdom and mighty works, Sophia and dunamis, words and deeds. They were astounded. What? How did this guy, you know, a little Jesus, he grew up here. How does, how does he have these, these things? They heard his wisdom and they heard of his works but they just couldn't accept it. 
And why could they not accept it? Verse 3, they said, uh, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And the result is they just took offense at him. Oh, this is just Jesus. We know what he does. He, he's the carpenter. He builds things. Probably just builder is maybe more accurate. He, he might have built with, um, with stone because, well, there's a lot more stone than trees in that part of the world. Um, they knew him in that role. We know his family. We know his brothers and sisters are just right here with us. And uh, he's just the son of Mary, which was probably kind of an insult. Even in that culture, even somebody who was, um, whose father had died, they would still refer to him uh, in the name of his father. But, oh, this is just, you know, the son of Mary. They took offense at him. They would not respond to his voice. They disregarded it, and they disbelieved because of their familiarity. Warren Wearsby says, uh, what was their problem? <laughs> Why were they unable to trust him and experience the wonders of his power and grace as others had? And the answer is, they thought that they really knew him. This preconceived idea of how Jesus operates, who he is, what he does, uh, made them unable to receive the wonders of his power and the grace that he offered. I think that we too can be so familiar with Jesus that we stop actually listening to him. Religious familiarity without ongoing relational encounter keeps us from responding to his voice. Our prayers over time might become faithless. Maybe in the beginning we prayed great prayers of faith, and then we just started uh, saying words. <laughs> then we just started borrowing phrases, and, uh, and we stopped really talking to and listening to Jesus. Maybe when we didn't get the result of our prayers that we hoped for, we, uh, we stopped thinking that a real conversation was even going on, and we just settled into a routine of prayer certainly affects the way we come to Scripture. Some of you have been um, around church um, for decades and decades. And uh, you may have come to a place where I'm not going to learn anything new. <laughs> I've kind of got it figured out. I have my theologies all sorted. Um, I've, I've read, you know, that book so many times. I could find the book of Nahum, you know, whatever it might be. You know, I, I, I got this. And we stop expecting to learn something new from God. Well, God's word is living and is active. It's not just a, a, a dead text. Also, our, our worship can become mechanical. We don't uh, expect to um, encounter Jesus when we come, to, to hear from him afresh. We, uh, we show up, we, we uh, eat some snacks and drink some coffee, we come sit in a seat we always sit in, we sing some songs, we eat a wafer, drink some juice, endure a sermon, sing another song, go out to lunch, and repeat the next week, and we just get in this routine. And we don't show up expecting to hear from the Lord because this is just so familiar to us. It's just what we do. Well, familiarity can keep us from hearing and responding to the voice of Jesus as we see in this passage so Jesus goes on to respond to their offense in, in verse 4. And he says uh, what's apparently a really uh, familiar saying. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. 
again, of all people, Jesus' hometown, relatives, family, they didn't realize who he really was. Let's get that. Familiarity can keep us from recognizing the glory of Jesus, recognizing his glory. It says, without honor, you know, honor is to revere or to ascribe value to. Like, Jesus is, is worth all this. Well, without honor is just to disregard or to esteem little. In Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was a popular but controversial figure. People loved him. People hated him. People mobbed him. Uh, People uh, sought after him. People argued with him. He was a big deal. And then we come to his very own hometown, and the attitude is, oh, it's just Jesus, nothing new, same old, same old, uh, nothing to see or hear here. This is really the scandal of the Gospels, that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John 1, John speaks of it. The true light in all his splendor, all his glory, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is the scandal of the Gospels. The thing, I can't believe it. The people who should have didn't. Jesus was shining in radiant glory, but those who had the scriptures, those who had the heritage, those who had the promises missed his glory. So it makes me think, we, if they missed it, we are not immune from missing how glorious Jesus is. In all our familiarity with him, we might be missing out on how glorious Jesus really, really is. Religious familiarity without ongoing relational encounter keeps us from recognizing his glory. And the thing is, we tend to treat things that are um, most familiar as uh, with, with contempt or, or disregard. Something I think is, uh, I, I wouldn't say glorious, but is, is special is, uh, is ice cream. Here's some ice cream. Just get your stomach rumbling. Ice cream sundae. Um, I really think ice cream is, is wonderful. And uh, when I was a kid, I was probably in high school, um, our family used to uh, cook for a lot of big events at our, at our church and, and for other things, camps and whatever. And uh, one time we cooked for um, a group. It's a, a regional conference, a boys' brigade. It was kind of like Awana and Boy Scouts mixed together. Anyway, a uh, bunch of people there, maybe a couple hundred. And uh, I don't remember what we had for dinner, but what we had for dessert was ice cream sundaes. And, uh, and my father, either on purpose or by accident, way overjudged how much uh, ice cream sundae um, stuff to get. So we brought home uh, tons of ice cream, tons of whipped cream, tons of uh, you know, big jars of, of maraschino cherries and chocolate sauce. So in our house, we had you know, a regular fridge freezer. And then in the garage, we had another refrigerator and another freezer. And uh, if I remember right, we had 13 half gallons of ice cream that we brought home from that, and plenty, just cans after cans of whipped cream and chocolate sauce, etc. And so our routine, uh, go to school, come home from school, go in the garage, scoop, scoop, scoop it up, whipped cream time. You know, day after day, that's just what we did. <laughs> we said, oh, this is great, this is great. Until we started to uh, just disregard it, 
it's like, oh, ice cream sundae, oh, whatever, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> okay, maybe I'll just have one today, and began to treat it with uh, eventually uh, contempt. But, you know, being a teenager, it only takes about a week to recover and back to ice cream. But the things that, uh, that are most familiar to us, we surround ourselves with, we begin to lose sight of the specialness of them, as, as I think we're in danger of, as church-going people, of losing the sight of how glorious Jesus is. It's like we, uh, we tend to take our, our families for granted. Why do we argue with the people we, we love the most or, or overlook or take for, take for granted because they are so uh, familiar to us? This is what was happening with Jesus when he came home. So what does this, um, how does this play out or how does this look uh, spiritually? Uh, years ago, and I feel like I should go to the next slide, but don't want to give away what's next. Because <laughs> even I'm getting hungry now. Um, years ago, uh, Heather and I worked in a youth ministry down in San Diego. At, it, was, it was a large church. We were volunteering with high school group. Um, on the same campus was a Christian school, including a Christian high school. And so what we discovered, and this is a huge generalization, but what we discovered is a lot of the kids from the Christian high school um, that also attended that church in the youth group were completely bored with uh, what was going on there. It's like, well, I've been on this campus five days a week. I have these classes. I have these Bible classes. And now my parents make me go a fifth day a week. And now you know, I'm here for church. And they're just kind of zoned out and bored with the whole experience. Not, not across the board, but there's a lot of that going on. Meanwhile, some of the kids whose um, maybe their families weren't even believers and they were in the public school and they came to Christ, uh, through a friend or whatever, that youth group was their lifeline. <laughs> they came and they were just eating it up and they were you know, dialed in and engaged and they just couldn't believe this and wouldn't miss for anything And uh, because they didn't just live in this world where this is so taken for, for granted. And so they, they devoured it. We, we're so familiar with church sometimes that we miss the fact that God dwells in our presence here. He's, he's enthroned in our, uh, in our worship. Worship, we've talked about, is kind of an essential habit. It's one of the, the few core things that we just need to do regularly to, to flourish in our relationship with God. Well, worship is not singing certain songs. It's not certain postures. It's not standing. It's not sitting. It's not any of these things. But it's slowing down and considering who God is to uh, express back to him who he is. Uh, These songs, some of them might have been so familiar, we didn't even give a second thought of the words that came out of our mouth. Uh, We're in danger of that when we become so familiar. So familiarity can keep us from recognizing how glorious Jesus is. And when we grow numb to his voice and overlook his glory, we also miss out on experiencing his power. Verse 5, and he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. They missed what was right in front of them, so they missed out on his mighty work in them. And it's it's really interesting. Notice Jesus' uh, humanity in these phrases. Mark says that he could do no mighty work there. 
It's as if Jesus is saying, I can't work with these people. <laughs> they just won't believe. You know, what's, what is their problem? Verse 6, he marveled because of their unbelief. Imagine God being uh, astonished or surprised by something. It's so here, just kind of this interesting interplay of Jesus' uh, divinity and humanity. Jesus is saying, I have so much more to offer if only you would believe. <laughs> if only you would receive what I have. Now, in the whole scheme of things, we know that Jesus was not incapable of doing things there. Um, uh, John Grasmick says, uh, there's no limitation on his power, but his purpose was to perform miracles in the presence of faith. That's, that's what his mission was. Um, he, he wasn't just going around uh, doing tricks for people. It was miraculous works in the presence of faith and to elicit faith and to respond to faith. And so it's all uh, wrapped around this uh, dynamic of a faith relationship. But when we have this lack of expectant faith in the way we relate to God, um, we miss out on the work that God would uh, delight to do among us. Some questions. <laughs> have you settled for just how things are spiritually with you? Uh, maybe we're tempted to uh, look around the room or look around the world and plot ourselves on this spiritual continuum of, oh, I've, I, I feel like I'm here, and that's pretty good because I know a lot of people down here, or whatever it might be. But the question is, have you settled where you are? Or are you coming to Christ saying, show me new things, take me new places? Those, those little habits, maybe they're huge, maybe they're subtle, uh, conform those little areas of my life uh, to you. Make me more like Jesus every day. Because no matter how spiritual you are in this room, you are not as spiritual as Jesus yet. I can say that with confidence, uh, self-included. Have you stopped believing that God will do a new work in you? Have you stopped expecting God to answer prayers? Are you just kind of just doing the church thing week after week and forgetting that Jesus is alive and well and inviting you to follow him around and respond to him in faith. You miss out on so much when familiarity keeps you from experiencing his power. So, question. What is at stake here? What's the result of being uh, familiar with Jesus but not really encountering Jesus? We have all the trappings of religion. It's all around us. some of us more than others. Um, but if we live in this realm of religious things without really drawing our hearts close to Jesus, what, what happens? The end of verse 6 says, in response to all this, all he went about among the villages teaching. So he came to his hometown, his, his own people, his kinsfolk, his family, and he... Uh, he, he said the words of truth and the good news, and uh, they're like, ah, it's just Jesus. And so he just goes out in the villages. He goes somewhere else and brings the cutting edge of ministry to other frontiers. When familiarity among God's people turns to apathy and lack of faith, when we're going through the motions not expecting anything new from God, then he simply focuses his work elsewhere. 
We see an example of this in, in Mark. I don't know if you've ever heard of Skate Church. It's kind of this interesting uh, church up in, or a ministry of a church up in, uh, in Oregon, in Portland area. Uh, it's about 25 years old, I think. I heard of them a long time ago, and I just looked them up. They still exist. But kind of interesting. Uh, it started uh, probably early 90s at Central Bible Church in, in Portland, Oregon. Actually, it was started by uh, childhood friends Paul Anderson and Clint uh, Biddleman, who I believe uh, were from Slow County originally. So Paul and Clint, they were both in this uh, skate scene in the late 80s, and um, their lives were really a mess. And then in their late teens, they, they came to Christ and it was totally transformed. They went off to Bible college um, in the Portland area. Here's a, a little piece about them. Uh, one night while, stud- while studying, Paul met some skaters on campus who had wandered away from a gym night at nearby Central Bible Church. Returning the skaters to the gym, Paul was encouraged by the Central Bible youth intern, John Stone, to come weekly and minister to skaters who didn't fit in. Determined to follow the path Jesus had for them, Paul and Clint then joined forces with the youth pastor, Mark, and founded Skate Church in the Central Bible parking lot. So, uh, seen some video clips that really some amazing things that they do. And uh, one great clip, the youth pastor saying, you know, some churches they have their supply closet with, you know, crayons and flannel, and, uh, and we have power tools for making the ramps. It's just, it's kind of, inter- it's fun to, to watch him talk about his excitement for the ministry. But what I want you to notice is um, church was going on inside the gym and inside the worship center. Routine, business as usual. But the real ministry started happening in the parking lot. It was a, a fresh living edge to what God was doing in the Portland area. Now, 20-something years later, uh, some stats, uh, over 12,000 skaters in the greater Portland area have heard the gospel through Skate Church. Uh, Over 1,000 people locally have claimed Christ as Savior and Lord uh, through that ministry. Uh, At least 20 Skate Church students have gone on to Bible college in some capacity. After coming to Christ, uh, four skaters went on to teach at Bible college or seminary. So, you know, it's not just a you know, a novelty or something, but it was having a deep impact. This is one little example. Church is going on, uh, routine, same as it ever was, and the real ministry is in the parking lot. <laughs> well, we see this on, on a much a bigger scale. Okay, there's a skateboarder in case you don't know what they look like. Um, on a big scale worldwide, we see in the, in the Western church where there's been such a heritage of faith, in the heritage of, of Christianity, there also is a, a hardening of hearts. People are inside churches arguing about what song they're going to sing and which of the hundred uh, lovely Bible translations they're going to uh, put their approval on, or whatever it might be that we like to talk about. Um, meanwhile, people in uh, China, by the thousands, are coming to Christ. People in the South Pacific and in tribal areas are hearing the gospel for the very first time. Um, Muslims in the Middle East are are coming to Jesus. So when God's church gets apathetic, he doesn't throw up his hands like, I can't work at this. Uh, He just goes somewhere else (laughs) and does new things. And he's constantly on the move. We heard this interesting example this morning of um, someone from the Philippines coming to America 
God's, God's at work all around. He's, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere. Uh, he's not stopping. His kingdom will prevail, which is a beautiful thought. But individually, we can miss out on what God is doing when we grow numb by familiarity. Here's some good news, though. When we draw near in relational proximity to Jesus, we abide in him, we cling to him, we, uh, we uh, talk to him, we read scriptures in a way that uh, we expect um, to, be, uh, to be changed by them. When we engage with Jesus in that way, um, then we really do encounter him afresh. When we expect to hear from God, we do hear from God. <laughs> maybe not immediately, maybe not every time, but as a habit, a posture of listening to Christ, we hear from him. If we're eager to behold his glory, well, we'll start to see his glory. He's all around us. He's incredible. He is so glorious. If we're eager for him to do a new work in us, maybe if we're even uh, open to him doing a new work in us, he is eager to do it. Brace yourself. <laughs> Something incredible might happen. Maybe you've been at this place in your walk with the Lord for decades, and he just invites you, I, I just want to bring you more. I just want to uh, conform you more to the image of Christ. I want to show you more. I want to, to uh, do more through you. So don't let familiarity and a faithless routine lead you to miss out on how precious Jesus is. He is he is alive and he's speaking to us and he's working in us and he's working around us and he's so glorious. Uh, I don't want any of us to miss it uh, ever. Here's just the challenge as we close. It's to simply open your heart to a fresh encounter with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, take me further. <laughs> um, conform me more and more each day. Uh, forget about what you have done. Now look forward to, uh, to what's ahead and what you will do and, and live with that expectancy. And, uh, and I believe we'll see some wonderful things that God would do in us. Let, let's just pause and invite him to do that right now. Lord God, as I, I think about these things, um, I, I am really encouraged and, and uh, continually blessed by the heritage in this church and the number of people who have, have loved you and followed you for a number of years and, and the amount of, of uh, devotion to Scripture that, we, uh, that takes place among us. These are beautiful things. These are, these are things that ground us in you. And at the same time, our familiarity with thing, these things sometimes can block us from hearing afresh from you. God, guard us from, from that. Uh, shake the dust off our, our hearts and our minds, and may we be people of faith to um, just to love you and follow you and devour your word and not just expect that we've gotten everything we're going to get out of it already, but uh, that we would open our hearts to, uh, to be continually transformed by you. And Lord, it's exciting to think about uh, what could happen when we're all doing that together. 
And uh, we invite you to do that for your glory. And it's in uh, Christ's name that we pray this. Amen.